This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, folks. Today at Core Brain Journal, this is Dr. Charles Parker. We are going to introduce somebody that many of you know already, a person who is very, very deep into biomedical recovery for some of the most challenging conditions on the planet. And she isn't talking about to us from Possum Hollow with a maybe idea about let's throw some supplements at them. She's talking from MIT. She's a very deep researcher. She has numerous, numerous papers. I'm just going to read to you later on a couple of the papers that she sent to me that we're going to have linked in the show notes. They will roll your socks up and down because when you, when you hear about these papers, you're going to say to yourself, oh my gosh, I need to get to know this woman and her work because it's simply outstanding. So Dr. Stephanie Seneff, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, before I get further into that idea of who she is and talk to you in more detail, I'm going to do just a couple of quick pieces from our sponsors who are helping us with this program. So first of all, I'd like to take a minute to talk to you about BRC, the Barry Robinson Center, a residential treatment care center in Norfolk for adolescents and children. These folks are innovative. They're very interested in doing, changing the entire market for what happens in residential care. They're holistically inclined, which means they're going to deal with the comprehensive presentations that happen with treatment failure when people have bounced off of meds, bounced off of other treatment centers, and are really looking for some options uh, anywhere in the world that they can get uh, into some uh, successful treatment activities. Uh, They're TRICARE friendly. They do have a global influence. And one of the key factors that I like so much about Barry Robinson Center, we work with them here in Norfolk, is the fact that they're very, very connected to the family model. They want that family to be on board, and they work very hard to make sure that connection takes place. And the other group that we're so pleased to be working with, you know how dedicated we are at Core Brain Journal here to data. We love data. And this presentation today with Dr. Seneff is all about data. So we really appreciate the opportunity to work with direct health access right outside of Chicago. And these folks are the leaders in really assessing some of the things that we've been talking about here in Core Brain Journal since early on. Methylation, copper values that are aberrant, cryptopyrrol, and how the complexity of those agents work to diminish the effectiveness of anything we're trying to do, including if we use nutraceuticals. If those levels are in some kind of disarray, the neurotransmitters don't work well, the medicines don't work well, and indeed, even the nutraceuticals don't work well. So you'll be hearing more from both of these uh, sponsors in just a moment when we take a break mid-presentation. So let me tell you more about Dr. Seneff. She is, as I said before, uh, uh, trained in computer science. She has a BS 
degree from MIT in biology and a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Now, you know right off the bat that she's interested in the details. If you, if you hear that about her, it's like, oh my gosh, this person is from a different kettle of fish. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease with a special emphasis on the pervasive, omnipresent herbicide Roundup and the mineral sulfur, which I'm looking forward to because I've, we've had some, some individuals, some guests on, Dr. Prozarno on uh, CBJ103 and Dr. Shaw on CBJ125, who've talked about toxins. But what's going to happen is Dr. Seneff is going to talk about sulfur in an additional, adds an additional wrinkle to the Roundup issue. She's authored over 30 peer-reviewed journal papers over the past few years on these specific topics. So again, welcome, Dr. Senev. We really look forward to hearing from you. So let me ask you off the bat, let's get a little bit of an orientation of what drove your passion into this because you're in YouTube, you've got public, you're talking, speaking, to, you're speaking regularly to international groups. So what drove you to take this next step from computer science. I mean, it was like you were way out in the woods and then you came back into this people business. How did all that happen? Yeah, it's, it's quite a story. I mean, I've been interested in autism for uh, almost as long as I can remember, way back when, when I was uh, had young children. One of my best friends had a child who was diagnosed with autism at a time when it was very rare. So I was, you know, disturbed by this and also fascinated with the disease and wanted to understand what was causing it. So I watched as the numbers climbed over the turn of the century, 2000, you know, the numbers started. It was pretty clear to me uh, by 2007, 2008, that things were going exponential. Autism rates were growing exponentially. And I knew that was not going to sustain. I mean, that was going to cause a huge crisis, not too far into the future. Mm -hmm. Just project, project the numbers. It's extremely scary because the, the curve goes out to 2032 as the magic year when half the children born, 80% of the boys will be diagnosed on the spectrum. So mm. that is completely un, unsustainable. And we're going to face this crisis, I'm afraid, because we're not the government is not doing a whole lot to try to stop it. I mean, they're basically denying it. They're saying it's just more reporting and they're finding ways to weasel their way out of it. It's very clear to me this is happening. Uh, 10 years ago really was when I started to think maybe I should take a look at this because I was frustrated with the research dollars that were all being spent on genetics and I knew there had to be environmental aspects to this disease, some kind of contaminants in the environment that were going up also exponentially. So I sort of did a systematic search and it uh, took me five years of searching before I stumbled upon glyphosate. I actually didn't even think of Roundup because like everybody else, I thought it was safe. I mean, Roundup is supposed to be a wonderful herbicide, completely harmless to humans. You know, it kills all plants except for those that have been engineered to resist it through a bacterial gene insertion using a GMO technology. And um, so it wasn't an obvious choice to look at. I looked at aluminum and mercury and lead and fluoride and all these things, and I was striking out. I mean, I was sort of seeing a connection with the vaccines, and I do believe they are contributory, but I definitely did not think the vaccines were the whole story. Something else was the main thing, and the vaccines were supplemental. They're working synergistically with this other thing. So uh, it was about four years, maybe four to five years ago that, um, that I happened to be at a conference where Don Huber, Professor Don Huber, happened to be talking about glyphosate for two hours, two-hour presentation. I didn't know the word. I really didn't even know what glyphosate was when I walked into that uh, 
lecture. And when I walked out, I was a completely changed person. I knew I had found the answer. And I, I never looked back. I just basically went home and just poured myself into all the literature I could find on glyphosate and uh, got completely, utterly fascinated with this molecule. It is an extraordinary molecule with an ability to insinuate itself into your proteins by mistake in place of glycine, and it causes damage, severe damage to any protein that has an essential glycine at a particular place in the protein chain. This is really, really crucial, and it's a unique type of toxicity that only this chemical possesses. I don't know of anything else that can do this. There are other chemicals. They're all actually naturally produced toxins. There are several of them that are produced by uh, various organisms that are used to, uh, to fight off their enemies and that are based on this principle of substituting for one of the coding amino acids. But glyphosate is a synthetic molecule. And it's the only one I know of that substitutes for glycine, which is an incredibly important amino acid uh, due to its small size and its flexibility. So it's being Glycine is used in various proteins in, pla in places where nothing else works. And when you mm. substitute glyphosate, you ruin that protein in many cases. So you're insidiously poisoning your entire body over time as you eat food that's contaminated with glyphosate. And all of, lots and lots of our food in America, Canada and the United States pretty much have the highest levels of glyphosate contamination in their food around the world. So we're the most poisoned. The United States has by far the highest healthcare costs. I think that's not accidental. I think it's directly a consequence of our chronic poisoning by glyphosate. Um, it is a slow, insidious poison that ends up uh, hitting you hard at some point with some kind of organ failure or with, you know, back, back pain, all the different joints becoming uh, problematic because of collagen, which has lots and lots of glycine in it, getting wrecked by the glyphosate. And, and glyphosate is a direct match to autism. This is why I was so excited from the talk that he gave, because he talked about the dysbiosis in the gut, the disruption of the gut microbes, the sulfur problem, the, the meth methylation problem. I mean, all of these chelating minerals making them unavailable, all of these things. Uh, I already knew there were problems in aut autism that, that matched uh, what glyphosate was doing to our physiology. So it was so perfect. I knew I was right. I knew that I had found the answer when I heard that lecture. Well, so then what happens with the, what's the connection there with the glycine and glyphosate? What, what does it do? Does it actually replace glycine within this is what, the... This is what I believe. Now, it has not been proven, but I believe, and I, the more I research, the more I'm confident that I'm right. Uh, Anthony Sampson was the first one who suggested this idea to me. I had actually sort of considered it and tossed it out because like everybody else, I thought, oh, it can't happen. You know, it, it's a funny kind of amino acid because it has something attached to the nitrogen and most of them don't. However, there is a coding amino acid named proline that also has a carbon attached to nitrogen, and it's perfectly fine. So then I thought, well, maybe it can, right? So you start, at first you think, oh, it's not possible. And that's what the chemists are telling you, it's not possible. Um, I think that I have a, a suspicion that the Monsanto folks know it's happening, and uh, they don't want us to find out, so they want us to believe that it's not possible so that we won't research it. It's really insidious. Uh, because the evidence, when you look at the circumstantial evidence, it's unbelievable. You can take, uh, there's all these diseases, first of all, that are going up exponentially, not just autism, but a huge list. And nasty things like Alzheimer's and pancreatic cancer and bladder cancer and uh, thyroid cancer and all kinds of gut problems. I mean, there's so many things that are going up exponentially. It's really scary. In this country, we are getting really sick. And of course, people have all these pain problems. They're taking opioid drugs. We've got a huge problem with opioid drug overdose. We've got depression among teenagers. We've got all kinds of allergies and asthma and eczema in the kids, you know, type 1 diabetes. 
type 2 diabetes showing up in teenagers, also arthritis. I mean, all of these things, they're all connected to glyphosate poisoning. It's really amazing that mm. uh, we are basically destroying our country's health with this one chemical. Of course, it's got other chemicals that are helping it out because we, we are pretty chemical happy in this country. We're really uh, so intent on efficiency and lowering costs and making food cheap. And we have, by, you know, according to our population, um, you know, the income, proportional to income, our country has the smallest expenditure on food of any country in the world. We get cheap food and we have incredibly expensive health care because we're, we're all sick. Mm. And it's a direct hit. I mean, the glyphosate is, first of all, it makes everything else more toxic because it disrupts the liver's ability to detoxify other chemicals in the environment. So that's working synergistically with everything else. And uh, it just, uh, it slowly uh, wrecks your organs. It, it chips at them bit by bit until one of them fails. So you might get kidney failure or heart failure, you know, or liver failure, liver cancer. I mean, all these things, Alzheimer's, they're all a consequence. And it just, depending on your particular genetics and, and what in your diet and your microbes, different things are going to happen to different people, but they're all bad. Now, Stephanie, let's roll the tape back just a little bit because every, everything you're saying is, is so uh, challenging and, and deeply concerning. Uh, the next question, I, I'm sure that a number of our listeners who are less deeply educated uh, than, than you are, certainly, and, and, and even less deeply educated than I am. I mean, you're way ahead of me, but I think that what we have is we have a group of people like, okay, you have said that this is a problem. How does it actually happen? What does that glyphosate do? What are the food substances that it comes in on? How does it find itself on the food substances? Is there something we can do with our food intake, knowing what we know that can prevent or at least uh, perhaps modify what's going on currently within the environment and our, and our dietary uh, Okay, good. Let me talk about which foods contain it and why, because that's kind of interesting. We have the core GMO Roundup Ready crops, which is the corn, the soy, canola, which is canola oil, um, sugar beets, alfalfa, tobacco, and cotton. And uh, those are the core crops that are, have been engineered to be resistant. And this means you spray, you know, you just spray the glyphosate all over the crop. You don't worry about it hitting the crop because the crop has been engineered with a bacterial gene that protects it from glyphosate. It's kind of a magic mm -hmm. gene. And that makes it much easier to control weeds. You know, you, you, just, you just spray everything. But the problem is the glyphosate goes up into the plant and gets into the food um, even though the plant doesn't die. And so, uh, so those foods dry from those crops are going to probably be contaminated. But almost worse is the ones that are sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest. And includes wheat and barley. Barley would be beer, sugar cane, which is, of course, the cane sugar, um, peanuts, various uh, legumes like um, uh, chickpeas and garbanzo beans, lentils, kidney beans, these, the beans are turning out to have incredibly high levels of glyphosate in mm. them, according to tests. And this means hummus, for example. So if you're not buying, even if you're buying organic hummus in the United States, you're going to have glyphosate in it. This is what's been found by the Canadian government. I'm friends with a Canadian activist named Tony Mitra, and he's done a wonderful thing of harassing the Canadian government for many years, finally getting them to agree to test a whole bunch of foods for glyphosate which has been very uh, useful because, you know, we don't know. I, I was very frustrated that you don't know which foods have it. You can guess, but the U.S. doesn't bother to test. We only tested soy. Uh, one year we, had it, we tested soy, we found 96% of the soy had 
either glyphosate or a glyphosate derivative contaminant in it of 300 soy uh, samples that they tested. So it was all over the soy. There's no question about it. That means, of course, soy formula for the babies, um, mm. which is very disturbing. And it's also been found in breast milk. Uh, Zen Honeycutt of Moms Across America, who's also a friend of mine, uh, tested several samples of breast milk, human breast milk, and found, I think, 30% of her of the people who provided the milk uh, came back positive for glyphosate. One had a, a level that was 1,700 times higher than the upper limit allowed for, for water in Europe um, in her breast milk. So, um, so it's in a lot of the foods. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, I would say, in all of the processed foods, a soy protein bar would be a terrible thing to be eating. You know, it'll give you a probably serious uh, health issues. Um, well, having developed that perspective, then what can you eat? That's the next natural question. I mean, you've hit all the major food groups. I know. And so then, and this happens in my office because we do talk about these things not as comprehensively as, as you're sharing in this, in this interview. But if, you, if a person will say, well, okay, you've said this and you said that. We've done simple IgG testing. And we do the IgG testing and we find out that they have uh, some food sensitivities. Yes, Which I know. are probably somewhat modified or encouraged by the glyphosate, given what we're talking about here. But I the think the glyphosate is the main problem with the food sensitivities. And that's is that right? And that's epidemic. And, of course, we've got the gluten intolerance. When I was a kid, you never heard of gluten intolerance. I didn't even really know about celiac disease until maybe 10 years ago. And now it's so common. Everybody knows. Everybody seems to be allergic to wheat. And, and you've got these massive sections of the grocery store offering all these gluten-free choices, which are probably, by the way, loaded with glyphosate because many of them are bean-based. So it's probably almost out of the frying pan into the fire when you switch to those. Mm. The, um, wheat is sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest. And glyphosate has been found in various wheat-based products, including things like Oreo cookies, which, of course, are very popular among the children. And, you know, those little uh, um, goldfish crackers, I mean, these things that the kids love, they're mm. poisoning themselves with glyphosate. So we've got huge problems with peanut allergy and soy allergy and, and milk allergy. I mean, you know, gluten intolerance and uh, casein intolerance. I mean, the poor children have almost, many of the children almost can't eat anything. It's just incredible how bad it's gotten with the, um, with the food. And, and what they are really sensitive to is glyphosate. I think all of those food allergies derive from the glyphosate that's incorporated into the protein in the food. So gluten, for example, with glyphosate in it is going to be much harder to break down. And plus glyphosate gets into the proteins that actually break down the protein. So you have the enzymes like pepsin and trypsin. Anthony Samso tested them. He, he ordered porcine pepsin from a lab and he sent it off and found rel relatively high levels of glyphosate in the porcine. Pe uh, pe uh, pepsin and trypsin are enzymes that digest proteins. So when you are eating food that contains glyphosate, it's embedded in the protein, which makes it difficult to break down the protein. And the free glyphosate is going to get incorporated into your own proteins, including the ones that digest the, the, the protein. Mm. So they're broken. Tri uh, trypsin has several different glycine dependencies in, its, in the protein design. The severe dependency on glycine in order to work at particular places in the protein chain. Mm. It's really interesting. You can go through the... Uh, research literature, as I've done, rummaging around looking for proteins that have essential glycines. And almost every time you find one, you say, oh, oh, that explains this disease. And you can pick the disease. There's one for Alzheimer's, there's one for ALS, specific proteins that have essential glycines at certain places that even have been targeted as the problem in the disease. They don't realize it's glyphosate, they think it's the glycine, but it's a glycine, in, for example, in amyloid beta that's been there forever. It's a very 
highly conserved glycines, two of them, in the amyloid beta plaque that is associated that is so with Alzheimer's disease. I, that is so interesting. I, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and even when you look at the uh, prion diseases like mad cow, so the prion has a specific uh, sequence of amino acids that's, uh, I think it's A-A-G-A-A-G-A-A. It's a palindrome. A is alanine, G is glycine. It's got two glycines in it. And that particular peptide sequence within the prion protein that causes mad cow has been targeted as the source of the problem. It's causing the protein to misfold. It's doing that because those glycines are getting swapped out for glyphosate. Oh, my gosh. All right, so I'm going to re-ask the question. You, uh, you know, what happens is then we're still in this situation, um, and I'm going to personalize it, if you don't mind. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But what, what do you eat? Knowing, being the very strong researcher that you are, having all this knowledge and being very concerned about your own health, as we all are, how do you work around this, this conundrum? Right. Well, first of all, whenever we shop, my husband and I always buy 100% certified organic. And thank God for that choice. It's a pretty good product. You know, there's a lot of restrictions on what you can use on organic food. And glyphosate is definitely not on the list. So if you're growing an organic crop, you cannot use glyphosate on it for any reason. Um, you may still end up with glyphosate in your product, and that's, that's certainly showing up because of it's in the rain, it's in the water, it's in the soil. I mean, you basically can't avoid it. So if you're buying, you're actually better off, I think, to buy even perhaps non-organic in some cases from Mexico than organic from America, from the U.S. Because, uh, again, Canada, I mean, Canada has really given us a wealth of information. And by the way, Tony Mutra published a book on this, an e-book recently, um, Poison Foods of North America, he calls it, Poison Foods of North America. Uh, and he's a data guy, and he got all this data from the Canadian government you know, thousands of records, over 8,000 records of different foods. And they tested not only Canadian foods, but also foods that were imported into Canada. And it's very interesting what they found, and he's been reporting on it. And consistently, U.S. and Canada rank way up high compared to the other uh, imports. Mexico was much, much lower. Mexico was much more in line with Europe in terms of the amount of glyphosate in the foods. And even organics coming from the United States and Canada, particularly with these garbanzo beans and, and chickpeas, hummus and things like that, even the organics tested remarkably high with glyphosate if they came from the U.S. or Canada. That's very interesting. Well, how in the heck, pardon me for being so emphatic, but how do you know it comes from Mexico? If you say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to go into, I don't care whether it's whole foods or farm fresh, and I'm going to find out these things that come from Mexico. How in the heck do you do that one? Yeah, well, sometimes it'll say imported from Mexico. I mean, a lot, sometimes the fruits, like the tomatoes, will say, you know, from Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm always happy if I see Mexico. It's really funny because you think about Mexico as somehow being inferior, right? But in mm -hmm. fact, it's not. It, they do much better with respect to the, to the glyphosate than we do. Gee, that is very interesting. So let's go back and ask this other question. So now that we're talking about that, and of course, we're Core Brain Journal, and a lot of the people who are listening are, how do we take this? And you've mentioned some very important uh, brain, you know, ALS, Alzheimer's. I think one of the things we want to begin to talk about here is some of the completely refractory conditions. It doesn't matter whether it's treatment failure with depression. You've mentioned depression. Anxiety, I'm sure, because what happens somehow, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you say about it, my imagination is that these, that glyphosate, and the glycine molecules, that, that, that whole situation becomes a problem somehow with the neurotransmitters themselves. Yeah, well, actually, it's very interesting because glyphosate is, I don't think I mentioned this, but it disrupts a pathway called the trichomate pathway. 
this is well known. Monsanto advertises this fact. And the big claim is that, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, we don't have that pathway in our cells. That's why it doesn't hurt us. This is the argument that they use. The chicken mate pathway is an incredibly important pathway in plants, and it's sort of the key target, um, you know, that kills them. It's the most important factor that takes them down with the glyphosate. And it's also found in our gut microbes, and the gut microbes use the chicken mate pathway to produce the aromatic amino acids. So those are some core amino acids that are incorporated into proteins, just like glycine. Uh, it's tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those are the aromatics. The, the aromatics are precursors to all the neurotransmitters, So the, and even the thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone, um, melatonin, ser um, serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, uh, adrenaline, thyroid hormone, and, uh, and then B vitamins as well, vitamin K, folate. All of these things come out of that chicken mate pathway and including the, the pyro ring of B12. So it's like, um, that may not be true, sorry. I think that's wrong. <laughs> Take mm -hmm. that one out. Take away the B12. B12 mm -hmm. has a different issue, but it's also mm -hmm. disrupted by glyphosate. Mm -hmm. Well, could you spell that, please? Because I want to uh, make sure I, uh, even if I look it up on Google, I don't even know how to spell it. Shikimate, S-H-I-K-I-M-A-T-E, Shikimate. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And it's interesting because the enzyme that it disrupts, EPSP synthase, it disrupts uh, the active site for the um, substrate attachment. And there's an absolutely essential glycine re uh, residue in that active site, in that enzyme. And multiple species of both plants and bacteria have solved the problem of glyphosate toxicity by changing the code so that they no longer produce glycine there. They produce alanine instead. It causes a, a hit on the enzyme. It doesn't work quite as well, but it completely makes it immune to glyphosate at any level. Now, this was shown in a study on E. coli, and that's, the, that's what they use as the GMO gene that goes into the plants to make them resistant. So the mm -hmm. thing is, as soon as you recode the protein to not use glycine, you can do that, and then you'll be safe from glyphosate, but you'll hurt the protein because usually this protein really needs a glycine there. You know? So it's much less efficient than the original one. But even so, it's not going to be affected by glyphosate, and therefore that appears to be a good choice for them. Well, forgive this elementary question because, you know, you're saying so many very interesting things that are deeper than my clinical experience. And uh, so the next question is, you know, when you're actually talking about the transformation of those neurotransmitters, are the neuro is, does it modify the actual amount of neurotransmitters? No, that's actually what I diminishing, diminishes the amount of neurotransmitters. Right, because it's diminishing the supply of the precursor that's going to be used to produce right. the right. and neurotransmitter by virtue of messing up the bacteria. And the other thing is, of course, um, there's uh, mineral problems. Glyphosate uh, chelates minerals. This is one of its uh, key features of toxicity. It binds very heavily to minerals, and that includes iron and zinc and manganese and cobalt and, and copper, all these really important micronutrients that are already deficient in the soil. It disrupts the uptake of those minerals into the plant, and, and that's one of the things Don Huber showed. He showed dramatic decrease in sulfur as well. All these really important minerals uh, don't uh, get into the plant as a consequence of glyphosate poisoning the soil. Yeah. It's messing yeah. up the bacteria that, that help them to coordinate that uptake. Stephanie, this is so very interesting. I can't believe the time is zooming by here. We have to take a break for the sponsors, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you when we get back because this is really one of your strong theme songs, and it's an absolutely relevant next level of questions. And I'm going to ask you two questions, really. One is, what is the relevance for autism? And how does that actually work with individuals uh, who either suffer from autism or 
can become autistic as a consequence, that, that question. And the second thing, which may take us a whole nother hour some other time, is how do you personally think a clinician in the field, because we have clinicians that listen to this, we have parents and mothers, but we also have clinicians, they're thinking, hey, what can we do, Dr. Senev? What? How can we test for this? What can we? What's the best testing? So let's talk a little bit when we get back about autism and the relevance of what we're talking about to autism, and then somehow in that conversation, take it to the level of testing that you recommend and ways to actually chase it down. Yeah, and also to try to get rid of it. Well said. <laughs> so we'll come back in just a few minutes, folks. Tune in. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations, may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families, including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, here we are back again, folks. This is so completely interesting, and we're so privileged to have Dr. Senev here talking to us and telling us these details, which, you know, you'd have to do a lot of work to find it in the doggone book, and she's telling us like it is from thousands of hours of research, and we really appreciate it. So the questions that we were going to ask, and she added a third one, gratefully, thank you very much, is how does it fit with autism? How do we test for it? And what can we do about it? So that's a whole series of questions. And uh, so you start wherever you want to, and, then, and let's, I'll just let you go and not interrupt you because we, <laughs> okay. we're very interested in, the, in your opinion and thoughts. 
Yeah, well, so autism, as I said, was where I started, and it was very, uh, became very clear. It matched beautifully with the autism problems, and uh, there's several, and it gets complicated quickly, and I'll try to just maybe focus on the most important ones, which I would say manganese deficiency and disruption of the methylation sulfur. Sulfur, sulfuration, sulfotransfer, what's it called? <laughs> sulfotransferase pathways, sulf, sulfate and methyl. Um, oh, that's where the sulfate comes in. Yeah. yeah, the sulfate and the methyl, which are all connected together through methionine. And, and it's been shown that methionine gets disrupted by glyphosate. So glyphosate uh, messes up the, that shikimate pathway, which is those aromatic amino acids. But the uh, other key thing that it messes up is methionine. Methionine is also an essential amino acid, and it's kind of at the base of the sulfur, organic sulfur system. And so methionine is a precursor to cysteine and glutathione. Glutathione is a really important antioxidant in the, in the liver and also to sulfate. And so sulfate is a, is a sleeper because most people don't realize there's a problem with sulfate. It's not much talked about, but I think it's systemic. Uh, deficiency in sulfate is systemic in our society and it's a key factor in autism. Uh, in fact, there was a study on, on mice that, that where they were able to engineer these mice to have a defect specifically in their ventricles within the brain, a defect in the ability to, to make hep something called heparin sulfate, which is a sulfated sugar chain that goes into the extracellular matrix in the, um, all over the body. But in, this was specific in the brain. These, these mice had a defect with heparin sulfate synthesis, with sulfation of the heparin. And they had all the features of mouse autism as a consequence of this one defect, which mm -hmm. really points to sulfate as being a critical problem. And sulfate was something that was identified by Rosemary Waring many, many years ago as a factor in autism. Defective sulfation pathway, one of the things that's going to do is make Tylenol toxic, for example, because you need sulfation in order to detox Tylenol. And so one of the things that, that people have seen is that the autistic kids are very sensitive to Tylenol poisoning. And that's part of how you can connect to the vaccines because they'll be given Tylenol to curb the fever and the Tylenol becomes toxic. Um, but there's lots of other toxic uh, molecules that are de detoxed through sulfation. So if you can't sulfate, you can't detox, and that's gonna cause lots of toxic chemicals getting into the brain and causing trouble. Um, uh, the manganese is very interesting, and manganese is an essential cofactor for various enzymes, uh, all of which can, are connected to autism, deficiencies in those enzymes. And so one of them is just converting glutamate to glutamine. Glutamate and glutamine are both amino acids. And the enzyme that converts glutamate to glutamine depends on manganese. Uh, autistic kids have anomalously high glutamate in their blood and anomalously low glutamine, suggesting they have a deficiency in that enzyme. And glutamate is a neurotoxin. And glutamate is also found in certain vaccines, particularly the MMR vaccine, which has been linked to autism, and I suspect the glutamate in that vaccine is becoming neurotoxic in the case of autistic kids because of their inability to convert it to glutamine and because of the leaky brain barrier that's set up by the glyphosate. So glyphosate leaks the barriers. It causes a leaky gut barrier, a leaky brain barrier, and allows toxic chemicals that are introduced to get to bad places like the brain. And that's why the, the vaccines become much more uh, problematic in the context of glyphosate because of that leaky brain barrier, but also because glyphosate works with the chemicals in the vaccines. For example, the glutamate in the MMR can work synergistically with glyphosate, which has also been found as a contaminant in the MMR vaccine. Anthony Samsel found that, so did um, Zen Honeycutt of Moms Across America, testing MM various uh, samples of MMR vaccine uh, finding glyphosate as a contaminant in the vaccine, which I find incredibly uh, disturbing. Mm. So the glyphosate and the glutamate work together to excite the NIMDA receptors in the brain, which is again going to be neurotoxic. And that's what I think is happening with the NMR vaccine. Um, 
the well, that's interesting. Let me interrupt you for just a second there because uh, I know a lot of us are wondering, hey, we've had a, heard all this about uh, mercury in oh, the yes. vaccines. So what's the combination? How does all that twisted situation turn? I mean, that's also problematic. And in fact, I suspect that glyphosate is messing up the microbes in the gut and allowing the mercury to become um, to be converted to a more toxic form. Actually, the, the mercury that's in the vaccine is already very, very toxic. Glyphosate opens up the brain barrier and allows it to get in. Glyphosate also disrupts the detoxification of mercury, which depends on sulfate, and glyphosate is a train wreck for the sulfation system. As I mentioned before, starting with the methionine, but also because it disrupts sulfide oxidase, it can cause uh, sulfites to be... So a lot of people have sulfur it's, uh, sensitivities in food, uh, because when they eat foods that contain sulfur, they get into sulfite toxicity because glyphosate disrupts the enzymes that get rid of sulfite. And those are in the gut, you have these enzymes that immediately will clear any sulfite as it appears because it's very toxic. But those enzymes become disrupted by glyphosate. So the sulfide sticks around and causes damage in the gut, uh, leading to things like hydrogen sulfide gas um, toxicity. Um, so that's another whole issue. So people become sensitive to sulfur, so they stop eating sulfur-containing foods, and then they become incredibly deficient in sulfate because of that. And that causes all kinds of problems eventually uh, will mess up the circulation to the point where you, you, it will not I mean, you'll die, basically. I mean, it can lead to death uh, because of the severe sulfate deficiency. Mm. And your body fights that in many, many different ways that are all related to inflammation. And so you end up with inflammatory inflammation in the brain, which is what's happening with autism. They have a chronic low-grade encephalopathy. And that inflammation in the brain is actually, I think, providing sulfate to the brain. So you're stuck because, because of this problem with sulfate transport, which is because of the disruption of all these sulfate transporters, such as the aromatic amino acids and the neurotransmitters, uh, you can't move sulfate around in the body, and therefore, and therefore you uh, end up with sulfate deficiencies. You can make sulfate on the fly at the site that needs it from hydrogen sulfide gas or from cysteine, you know, or sort of uh, other kinds of sulfur sources, but you need superoxide to do that, and that's going to give you oxidative damage. That's going to give you inflammation, all those bad things. So we've, we've got an epidemic in inflammation. Um, various inflammatory diseases right now in this country. I think it's all tracing back to the sulfate deficiency problem introduced by glyphosate. The other thing is it gets into the proteins, as I mentioned, and those proteins become allergenic. So you end up with a lot of, either from the food or from the vaccine, the, the actual proteins produced by the viruses in the vaccine, or um, your own proteins, like in your collagen. Once they get contaminated with glyphosate, your immune system gets upset with them and starts reacting to them. You get antibodies to those proteins. And then you get all these autoimmune diseases, you know, like multiple sclerosis and lupus and all those things. And autism, I think, is also an autoimmune disease, as is Alzheimer's. Those, are, I think, are connected to autoimmune reactions, for example, to the myelin sheath, which is a consequence of, again, glyphosate contaminating the protein and causing it to be allergenic. I mean, you only named about eight things right there <laughs> that happen all at once. You yeah, know, that, it's incredible. It's just incredible. It's just such a cascade, and it attacks you on every front you can imagine. Um, well, and those children, uh, how are they vulnerable? Uh, some researchers that I've talked to say, you know, we're very close to discovering some ways to actually intervene on autism earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of the ones that are most uh, affected are the ones that have certain genetic predispositions, and it is true that genetics plays a role. They're finding many, many different genes, you know, that uh, are susceptibility genes for autism, uh, particularly in that methylation pathway, MTHFR, for example, which is uh, involved with meth methyl methylation. And that's methionine. You know, you, you need methionine as the precursor to produce this. And it's also coming, methyl methyls are supplied by glycine. 
and there's a, um, a glycine cleavage system pathway that supplies the methionine, supplies the methyl group to methylfolate. And so folate is also a problem, of course. We have a problem with folate deficiency. Folate is a product of the shikimate pathway. It's been shown that our gut microbes provide us with folate. And they use the shikimate pathway to do that. So when they're broken, we don't get enough folate. We've introduced, you know, folic acid uh, fortification in flour since 1998. It's very curious that that's the same time in which they started ramping up the GMO Roundup Ready crop. So we were getting an increase in exposure to glyphosate simultaneous with the introduction of this fortification of folic acid, recognizing the dangers of folate uh, this deficiency in early pregnancy causing neural tube defects, you know, like microcephaly and anencephaly and uh, um, spina bifida, all these horrible uh, developmental problems. Uh, so in order to avoid that, they introduced this folic acid in the food, but at the same time, they were ramping up glyphosate. So when they actually did a study of the, of the uh, women in the population, the, you know, the reproductive years, uh, over time, after they introduced that, they found that the levels of folate in their blood were going down instead of up after the introduction of the folic acid. That's because they were simultaneously being poisoned more and more by the glyphosate every year. Glyphosate usage on core crops has been going up exponentially for the past, past 20 years. And that's partly because they've been coming up with all these glyphosate-resistant weeds in the glyphosate-resistant crops. So they're having to use more and more glyphosate to kill the weeds every year. Wow. And there doesn't seem to be any, any attempt at regulating how much glyphosate they can use. The government thinks it's harmless, and therefore they don't even try to control it. And we use by far more glyphosate than any other herbicide in agriculture. It, mm. It's the only one that's going up exponentially in step with the exponential growth in all of these diseases that it's causing. That's wild. Now, let me ask you this question, because you were saying some things quickly, and I think uh, you're going to be a person that knows something about this, and I'm not putting you on the spot. I've heard a little bit about the differences between the synthetic folic acid mm. and folinic. Could you address the relationship between those two folic acid subsets and uh, and, and the relationship between glyphosate. Uh, yeah, I mean, great question. And actually, I've done a whole talk on, on the issues with folic acid and folate. And those terms are used interchangeably, but they're not at all the same thing. Folic acid is a synthetic molecule. It's mm -hmm. the one they've put into the wheat products. I think it may be part contributing to the gluten intolerance issue. Folic acid is unmethylated and it's oxidized. And, so, and the gut bacteria can't do anything with it. So it goes straight to the liver. Usually the gut bacteria would prepare a beautiful methylated, a reduced folate, you know, met, met, a methyl tetrahydrofolate that would be ready to go and would be very useful to us as a, as a methylation source. But with the folic acid, it goes straight to the liver and the liver is stuck with having to fix it. And that means it's going to cost it glutathione. It's going to have to uh, use up its antioxidant capacity and its methylation capacity in order to fix that folic acid and turn it into methyl tetrahydrofolate. So if you're taking tons of folic acid, the liver is going to just give up already and say, I can't fix all this folic acid, just let it go. Mm. Now you get folic acid in your blood, which is absolutely worse than useless to you. And that folic acid will bind to the folate receptors in the brain and disable them. So actually, when you're taking tons of folic acid, you end up causing a folate deficiency in the brain by virtue of shutting down or even causing a, um, an allergic response to these uh, these brain folate receptors that are bound to this folic acid. Wow. So it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, poor uh, solution to a very serious problem with the glyphosate. Well, so what we were touching upon there a little bit, we're, and we're actually coming close to this next question in the discussion, which you had uh, really suggested before our break, which was so so helpful and useful, and that is, where do we go? And I know what happens. I see it happen because we've seen people who 
that whole business of whether a person is over or under methylated is, uh, is really an important aspect because it does uh, modify the transport of proteins on the presynaptic nerve. And that, that whole over under, and under methylation process is, is a big thing because we've seen people who had their MTHFR testing done and, and they're thinking about this for whether it's a child who's autistic or, you know, adults who have uh, neurotransmitter issues. And then what happens is they're over-methylated, and yet they've been giving methyl products based on MTHFR polymorphisms, which mm-hmm. is only a, a portion of the problem. Yes, and, that's right. There's many other pieces to the puzzle, and cobalamin is also plays into there, too, because that's also essential for the methylation. So people can have a cobalamin deficiency problem that tries to get fixed with folate, but it doesn't really work. And then you can you can get things like a d- dementia from just from the cobalamin deficiency. You, can, you could think you have dementia, but you could actually fix it if you would just uh, resupply the cobalamin. Now, is that cobalamin measured through? Can you just do it through a, a B12 on blood? Can you see it on B12 on blood? Uh, yeah, although cobalamin can fool you too because it can be uh, in trouble because of being oxidized by nitric uh, nitrous oxide. It can uh, disable the cobalamin so that it's there but it's not working. And that's also mm. something that glyphosate can introduce. And also cobalamin depends on cobalt, which is one of the minerals that is severely depleted by glyphosate. A study on cows found cobalt and manganese to be absolutely way below the minimum expected value in the blood of cows exposed to glyphosate. Mm. Cobalt and manganese. So that's going to mess up cobalamin and that's going to mess up all these manganese-dependent proteins, some of which are are, uh, antioxidants, like uh, uh, manganese superoxide dismutase is really important for protecting you from oxidative damage. So that's going to cause trouble too, as along with the glutamate glutamine problem that I mentioned earlier. Oh my gosh. All right. So let's try to bring this down to the street level a little bit because you have, you're such a deep and wonderful person. We really appreciate your coming on board here. But it, as we walk out this particular door on this short, short presentation, too short discussion, what are some of the things that you, uh, from the professional perspective that you have pulled together over years of research, what would you say we should do regarding testing and mm-hmm. treatment? What, how, do, how does one approach that complex problem? Yeah, I mean, you can get glyphosate tested in your urine. It's becoming easier and easier to do over time. It, it, it has been a very, um, very few labs we're offering it, but there's more and more that are offering glyphosate testing. So you can send your urine sample off to these labs and get it tested for glyphosate. It, it's not clear what that tells you because it's probably measuring your exposure over the past couple of weeks mainly. Because mm-hmm. most of glyphosate goes through and ends up in the urine, but a certain percentage of it, as I said, gets into the proteins. It, it actually accumulates in the bone marrow. So it's mm-hmm. very hard to test glyphosate in the bone marrow. But I think that would be an indicator of how much cumulative damage you've had over your lifetime. I believe that it probably goes up slowly over time as you age. And depending upon how much glyphosate-contaminated food you're eating, it's going to go up slower or faster. And as it piles up in your bone marrow, then whenever you have an injury, uh, you have stem cells coming out of the bone marrow to try to heal the injury, and they're going to carry glyphosate on their backs and deliver it to the injury site and mess up the healing process. This is what I think is happening. I mean, I think there's an issue with concussion. I wrote a paper on concussion. You know, we have an epidemic right now in... um, concussion from kids playing you know soccer on the, in the soccer field mm-hmm. kids are much more sensitive to concussion than they used to be and we have a whole paper that explains how that's going to happen as a consequence of mm-hmm. glyphosate poisoning so um 
as far as what you can do, I mean, in terms of diet, there's much more than just eating organic. And, and of course, one is always, you hear so many different things about what's good to eat and what's not good to eat. You can get very, very confused from everything that's out there because a lot of it's misinformation. I have some key foods that I really recommend. Uh, in part to detox glyphosate, and an important one is fermented foods. And I think fermented foods have been gaining popularity. You know, sauerkraut, um, yogurt, kefir, kimchi, um, even apple cider vinegar. So Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar. These are um, really useful foods for resupplying your gut microbes. But most importantly, because there's a particular bacteria that is often present in fermented food called Acetobacter, and it is on the very short list of uh, microbes that can actually fully metabolize glyphosate. So that is like really probably one of the best things, anecdotes to glyphosate, to try to remove the glyphosate that's in your gut by letting these bacteria basically Gee, dissolve it. Um, and then I also recommend bone broth. So you want to get um, organic grass-fed uh, beef bones, you know, the big, big beef bones, and throw them in the water and cook them slow, cook, slow cook the, the bone for a long, long time. And then you can add a bunch of veggies to it and make a delicious soup with a bone broth. That'll give you the mineral and balanced minerals that you need because the minerals are definitely going to be depleted, not only in your foods, but also in your gut because glyphosate chelates the minerals. So you have a mineral deficiency problem that you can fix with things like Mediterranean sea salt and bone marrow and things like that. And, um, and then I recommend foods that are high in sulfur, of course. So that's going to be garlic and onions. And then seafood is terrific because most seafoods like oysters and clams are very good with micronutrients. And I believe cholesterol is good for you. So I recommend animal-based uh, foods, um, which uh, have cholesterol and saturated fat, both of which I believe are healthy. I know we have a lot of pushback on cholesterol, but eating cholesterol is a good thing and will actually lower your serum cholesterol because your body can use the cholesterol from the food and give your liver a break because it's difficult for the liver to synthesize cholesterol and cholesterol is incredibly important for your body. So this would be grass-fed butter, that sort of thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love sour cream, full fat sour cream, and that's got, you know, probiotics as well. Um, butter and um, cheese. I think cheeses are great. And I eat all kinds of different organic cheeses. And luckily you can get organic. I mean, maybe not everywhere in this country. I live in Boston, so we have quite a bit of good access. Whole Foods is a good source. And we have even organic, um, you know, food, uh, the farmer's markets. There are some organic That's choices fantastic. there. And hopefully I, there will be more and more. And I think people should go to farmer's market and ask, is it organic? And then if they say, no, this is what I do all the time, walk away. And keep doing that, you know. Keep asking and then walk away because – They'll get the message, geez, if I just offered organic, these people would buy it. You know, we need to, we need to chop them off at the money supply. We need to, everybody has to get on board with eating 100% organic. And if we don't buy their food, they won't make it. That's such a good point. And, and it's a, a useful point to end with. I mean, we could talk for another hour without stopping. And, and I do really have to push on, unfortunately, because I just love talking to you. I was so interested in just watching the videos that you have. You have such an excellent set of videos out there that if, uh, first of all, we've got an audio thing here so people could then replay it because a lot of what you're saying is so intense uh, that it, it bears repeating and it bears some additional work. And listeners, what I'm going to try to do is take the last part of, of what, uh, you know, what's been said here, uh, what Dr. Seneff was talking about, and try to put it in the show notes so you could download it and take a look at it because and she's got some excellent references and we're going to have these in the show notes uh, you know something on glyphosate suppression of cytochrome p450 enzymes a big deal 
I've been interested in cytochrome P450 enzymes since 96 when I realized uh, we were having big reactions to medications. And then glyphosate pathways in modern diseases, she gets into that in great detail. I'll have that reference in there. And does glyphosate acting as a gly- glycine analog contribute to ALS? So, but she, what did you have about 20 papers already? I think it's more than that, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've probably got over 30 uh, recent, you know, recent papers in the last five or six years, um, mostly on glyphosate. I'm like completely obsessed with this molecule. You can tell that. It is a fascinating article, molecule, and it's a goldmine. As a researcher, it's an absolute goldmine because there's so much stuff out there, and all you have to do is connect the dots. It's so easy. I'm working right now on kidney failure among the agricultural workers in, in Central America. They're, they're dying in record numbers young young men of, of, uh, of a strange kind of kidney failure that nobody understands. I know it's glyphosate. They're spraying glyphosate on the, on the sugar cane right before the harvest, and they burn the sugar cane, and then they harvest it. So they're breathing in this glyphosate. Oh, my gosh. And they're dying. I mean, and, and, and it's amazing the, how few papers there are. There are papers that suggest, hey, maybe the glyphosate's causing this. Well, I know the glyphosate's causing it. And it's amazing when you look at the glycines and the proteins and you find out, oh, my God, of course, you know, the, the aquaporin's got essential glycine, so they're going to get uh, dehydrated and they won't be able to push the water back into the blood. So they're going to just – it makes everything – that you suffer from much worse and your body can't afford that kind of, you know, heavy work in high heat on top of glyphosate poisoning. It just won't work. It'll kill your kidneys. It does not stop. Dr. Stephanie Seneff, this has been a remarkable interview, you know, and we're going to have to have you back if we can sometime. I think is the next question is we've had a little bit of a foundation. I mean, how can you have a, a foundation and then go so deep at the same time? I don't know, but we got, we have a, a beginning discussion here yes. we ha- and we can, we're going to have a page on the website. that's going to put the other testers and toxin comments with yours. So people can go in there and listen to these different things. They have a resource so people can go to it. And we really very much appreciate your taking the time. This has been very instructional and very helpful to me personally. And I want to thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll have you back, Stephanie. Thank you very much. Excellent. All right. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.